Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Indeed, today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen, Hour 2 on Tuesday, October the 8th, 2019. Uh, For those of you who um, have Jewish neighbors and friends and co-workers, today at sundown uh, marks the beginning of Yom Kippur until sundown tomorrow. Jews will be celebrating and observing what is for them the holiest day of the year. And so uh, the key verse is, uh, is related to forgiveness. So for on this day, he will forgive you to, pur- to purify you, that you be cleansed from all sins before God. And so when we think about how it is that we are forgiven of our sins in Jesus Christ, when we think about the Day of Atonement, which for those of us who are Christians, we would recognize as Good Friday, the day upon which Christ uh, made of himself the all-sufficient sacrifice. The book of Hebrews is a good one for you to spend some time in today to understand Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for sin. Um, and the the conversation about repentance that we want to have with our Jewish uh, neighbors and friends and co-workers is, is not only about how was atonement achieved in the Old Testament under the, you know, under the rules governing the First and Second Temple, um, because obviously Jews today here in the United States of America are not going to the temple and sacrificing lambs. And so when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist called out in recognition of him, and when we recognize that he is the Paschal Lamb, he is the one who uh, of whom God makes the final and all-sufficient sacrifice. Again, Book of Hebrews, good place to turn here. Those are conversations that you have the ability to have. You, you You're not you're not saying to your Jewish neighbor or friend or or colleague, hey, your belief system is wrong. You're simply sharing your understanding of atonement on this day when they are celebrating atonement. And so um, what provokes us to think we need atonement? How do we think that that is achieved? Um, when they say at the conclusion of the Yom Kippur celebration next year in Jerusalem, what do they mean by that? Uh, and how do they think, what do they think is going to change in the next year that would result in them being in Jerusalem uh, celebrating Yom Kippur next year? Like, what what do they think is going to change? And how is that going to happen? You and I as Christians, we actually have answers to those questions. Um, we know that in Jesus Christ, God has already done all that is necessary, that people would be able to come in repentance of faith and and put their uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ and through Christ, have be made at one atonement at one mint if you break the word up atonement at one mint the way in which we are made one again with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit and so what is our cry uh, in terms of a, a celebratory proclamation uh, you know our cry would be Maranatha come Lord Jesus Maranatha we're not waiting for the first coming of the Messiah we're waiting for the second. 
Next up, uh, I'm going to be talking with Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. Uh, and he and I, uh, we love to talk from time to time about what it looks like for Christians to live authentically as Christians in uh, the, the ever-complex political environment of our day. We'll be right back. Joining me again today, Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Good to be with you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. So um, I'd like to start with, with uh, a question about chapstick. Um, <laughs> my, my husband always loses his reading glasses. Like, that is the big issue at our house. Chapstick uh, seems to be the thing that gets away from you. And so I just want to know one thing. Do you have a particular kind of chapstick that uh, that you like because I'm adding it to your bio so that every time I see you I have a new a new one to just hand you I feel like this is an act of friendship yeah it's, it's just the original chapstick uh, okay. I keep it pretty simple obviously losing chapstick is less expensive than losing reading glasses so oh no maybe no, no. because those like position. cheater re- it's just because you're not old enough to know that like these cheater readers that you can just like, buy them anywhere and they come in like multi packs uh, okay. because they just get okay. lost a lot yes okay so probably not more expensive than chapstick but there you go <laughs> all right just the plain ordinary original variety of chapstick everybody out there who's listening who's a fan of Justin Gibney anytime that you know you're going to see him in person an act of of kind, thoughtful generosity would be for you to remember to buy a fresh uh, chapstick and hand it to him because he will very likely have lost the one that he had just minutes before. Would that be fair? That's, that's safe to say. I feel like this is possibly the, 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 the most positive advocacy I can do for you today. Okay, so <laughs> I um, I read this uh, story from the Associated Press Related to um, Franklin Graham, who is in the midst of doing a tour that, uh, you know, obviously among evangelical Christians. Um, and I, as I read this, I just thought to myself, I really, I just want to hear um, Justin's reaction as an African-American evangelical Christian. Um, because this uh, this reads like just a apologetic tour for the president instead of um, uh, a genuine, you know, hey, Christians have an authentic witness and we don't always align ourselves with the political influencers of our day. Um, and, and in particular, when, um, when Franklin Graham took, uh, took his dad's statement about, you know, never crossing the line of, of basically aligning yourself with a politician, and then um, Franklin Graham saying, quote, one thing I appreciate about President Trump, he's not a politician. <laughs> So I just I would like to hear as an African American Christian, um, how do you how do you hear this? Yeah, you know, as always, um, you know, African American Christians are not monolithic, and I'm not the, right. the only spokesman. But from my point of view, I think it's um, you know it just cheapens the Christian witness, and I think it's the reason why there is a lack of credibility when it comes to uh, the Christian witness sometimes in the public square. Uh, to limit your witness or to use your public witness to defend any politician, right, to just blindly defend them. Now, there may be certain actions you defend or there may be an effort that you support, but to just really say that whatever this politician does, uh, I'm going to defend that and I'm going to, you know, go out there and use my position, right, use my faith and, and refer to my faith 
to defend someone, I think that is just uh, it's really sad. And it reminds me kind of, kind of, of, of the back and forth between Amos and Amaziah, the priest. Uh, where Amos comes and says, hey, you guys are doing wrong. And Amaziah says, hey, get out of here. I'm going to defend this guy. You know, I, I got my little um, my little fiefdom and I'm getting what I need and I'm going to defend, defend the king. And that's just wrong. That's just not what we should be doing. We should be speaking truth to power. And I don't care on either side, whether it's Democrat or Republican, we should never just uh, generally uh, defend any politician. Uh, that's just not the way to go. And that's not how we should use our, our public witness. And one of the one of the things that I observe, uh, Justin, is there seems to be a tendency among um, a particular particular cadre of of high profile Christians in the culture today um, who will take images from Scripture, ideas from Scripture, and apply them to the contemporary setting or situation um, in ways that maybe are not totally uh, appropriate and helpful. Now, you have just done so in a way that is appropriate and helpful, helping us see how our days um, maybe are not that different and how characters and characteristics of people um, at the intersection of faith and politics is, you know, that's just just often a point of rub. Um, But I'm thinking here about, let's say, Pat Robertson, who just in the last uh, 48 hours, 24 hours, really, um, you know, has has said, hey, the president of the United States risk is, risks losing the mandate of heaven with uh, with his decision to pull our troops out of Syria. I think that, you know, when we talk about the the mantle that God lays upon government and the way that God uses individuals um, throughout the course of human history and at, certainly at particular points in time, when we over-identify a character, a contemporary character, with um, with something in the Scripture, and we imagine that the mantle of God is upon a politician, um, I find that troubling. And then I find it troubling that uh, that someone would then say, oh, by this particular decision, um, that the president risks losing the mantle of God. Like, I, I just—all of this language I find troubling in terms of my ability as a Christian— to express to non-believers what we're talking about um, in terms of a consistent public witness. Yeah, and that's why I think it's incumbent upon us to call out uh, the folks within Christianity who are who are doing these things. I mean, first and foremost, I don't even know what um, mandate of heaven that he's he's referring right. to necessarily. Me either. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, I, I, you know, if you value Scripture, so we have a lot of conversation of who has a high view of Scripture. And a lot of the folks, especially in evangelical circles who supposedly have a high view of Scripture, to allow someone to use Scripture uh, for, as a political tool or for political means, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's just to me, that's not a high view of Scripture. <laughs> to me, you need to go back and see how much do you actually, you know, value Scripture if you're just going to use it uh, to, to benefit whatever political interest that that may be behind you. And it, it's, it's really sad. I think it shows an addiction kind of to power, uh, just a need to be in close proximity, close proximity to power. And that's one of those things that we see over and over again in the Bible as well. And we know that that is a corrupting influence, uh, but it's on us. Uh, to call them out, and particularly uh, white evangelicals, to call out people when they're doing those things. And now, and the sad thing is, when somebody in a high position does call them out, the person calling them out, who's who's the Amos of the time, is is the one who gets the most uh, gets hit, gets takes the most hits and takes the most bullets. And it should really be the other way around. If we want to have credi- credibility within the public square, uh, we need to do better, and we need to hold our own accountable. Okay, so I like this. Uh... 
this tweet that you posted. Christian identity should define and drive Christian witness in the world, including politics. If we're true to the faith, we won't allow our political affiliation to become religious in nature. That is Justin Gibney uh, on Twitter. You can follow him there. You can also find him at the AND campaign. He and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Um, Justin, this intersection of faith and what's going on in the culture and life is is where you and I like to spend our time. Um, this is a question that I'm going to ask. It's also the title of an article that you wrote, which is published at ChristianityToday.com. Is racial justice becoming a priority for evangelical voters? You know what? I'd like to. Say, I think uh, so. I didn't write the article. I am. I am quoted oh, in that article. I, uh, quoted in the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, no, giving close you, I'm giving you all the credit. <laughs> close enough. I, I would like to see that. I think it would be. I, I would welcome seeing, uh, especially white evangelicals, really put uh, justice, you know, into the conversation and kind of make that a priority. Uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, I wouldn't say that I've seen that uh, necessarily. Just on a, I, I've seen. Um, moves towards that. I've seen moves towards that way, but I haven't seen that just on a, a high level and saying, yeah, this is a trend that is definitely kind of taking over. Uh, I think the last example that you gave of how people are defending some of the things that the, the president is doing that are wrong is an example that we have a ways to go when it comes to justice. So the data that was provided in that article, I hope it's true. I, I welcome it. But I think we have a ways to go to say, what is justice? What's the Christian obligation to justice? And how do we make that a priority? within our public witness. I hope that's the truth. I work every day to make that uh, so, but I think we have a ways to go. So that process of engaging in enough substantive conversation that we would, you know, we'd be able to plow together a conversation about justice. What What is it? Um, what does it potentially look like um, in our generation? What do we need? You know, what are the things that we need to till into the cultural soil today in order that the seeds might be planted for justice to really spring forth in the next generation. Um, that is hard work. And that is um, and that requires people committing time. Um, it it requires great humility. I have to I have to step back from a lot of assumptions and presuppositions and um you know, I have to be willing to hear people's stories and their pain and not uh, burr up defensively against it. Where are the spaces and places uh, or opportunities on the horizon where you feel like those conversations are taking place, where we could invite people to consider investing some time, investing some resources to get themselves into you know, a place or a space, a conference, an environment where these conversations are going to be taking place? Yeah, I think one place to go and is, is a great resource is the Just Gospel Conference, which is going to happen in, here in Atlanta in March of uh, 2020. Uh, you're going to get some of the best Christian communicators, all very biblical, talking about justice and why justice is important as as it kind of intersects with uh, uh, partisan politics and just the Christian public witness in general. And these conversations, these speakers that you see at the Just Gospel Conference are the type of people that should be coming to, you know, find ways to invite them to your church or get a group of churches together and throw an event of your own so that you can have an even more intimate conversation about those issues. Because I think the foundation of understanding the importance of justice comes from the Imago Dei. 
uh, comes from an understanding of human dignity and how that applies and how we are to be defenders of that human dignity. Once we truly understand that and we see each person uh, with that with that Imago Dei and with that human dignity, then we feel like we have no choice but to defend them. We have no choice but to kind of be the, the, the folks who God is using to uh, uh, demonstrate his justice. And so I think it all works together. But you you have to bring these conversations into uh, the community, not to take over uh, the church, but to to definitely have a uh, have a voice in the church so that we see these things more clearly. So when we talk about the Just Gospel Conference, you guys can find it at justgospelconference.org, justgospelconference.org. Um, Justin, uh, there's there's probably people who are listening right now and they're saying, well, hallelujah, I'd like to invite that conversation. I'd like to go participate in that conversation. And then I'd like to invite that conversation to take place in my, in my church or in my community. Um, I am aware that in my own experience of these conversations, they more often take place in the context of an African-American or a predominantly African-American congregation than they do in a predominantly uh, white congregation. And so I want to invite people to stretch right now. I want I want people to, um, you know, if you're a part of a congregation that's mostly white, maybe overwhelmingly white, this is actually a conversation we are inviting you to invite uh, invite into your congregation. The, the places where the conversation needs to be had and needs to take place are not – we can't always – be having the conversation in the context of a predominantly African American environment, and so um, let's be let's be brave, let's be uh, humble, let's recognize that we don't yet have all the answers in terms of the way forward in the conversation about racial justice in this country, and let's invite Justin and uh, and other men and women like him who are already having these conversations, and let's invite them into our churches. Uh, into a community of churches where we live, um, do something in partnership and cooperation with the African American church that's down the street, uh, and do this as a cooperative event together. So uh, we we want to equip you to be having these conversations not only across the dinner table um, and in community where you already have, um, you know, friends. We want you to be reaching out beyond what is already comfortable. Remember, one of the things we're doing is we're getting more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. So Justin, you want to add anything to that? No, I think you hit it hit it on the head and just as you go into those conversations, make sure as I always say that you have a posture of self-examination, which is which comes from humility rather than a posture of self-defense, which is prideful. Yeah, I've reached the place Justin where I just admit I'm I'm probably uh, there there's just there's just so much going on in that other person's life no matter who they are. Um, that I don't know and that I can't know, um, that there's no way I I can even make a guess about what they're feeling or how they're going to respond to a situation that we're both in together. And so I've, I'm just learning. I am learning to just ask more questions and make fewer assumptions. That's good. Yeah. You're, you're helping me there. Hey, thank you, as always, for being with us. That's Justin Gibney. You can find him at the AND campaign. We want everybody to check out justgospelconference.org, March 5 to 7, 2020, in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll be right back. Next up, we have a completely different uh, conversation. Horst Schultze 
is uh, one of the co-founders of the Ritz-Carlton. And the Ritz-Carlton is a brand that we all know, um, and we all know it, and we might all use one word to describe it, and that would be excellence. You might consider it uh, the way in which you understand the concept of five-star. Um, what you may not know about Horst Schultze is that he is a fellow believer and that human dignity and the dignity of every individual is really the theology that underlies the ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen uh, ethic that um, he fostered at Rich Carlton. And he is going to be up next. He actually has a book um, called Excellence Wins. But he and I are going to talk about a range of topics uh, just about faith and life. And so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Picture this. Your teen comes home two hours past curfew. You've been worried sick. Then he calmly waltzes in like nothing happened. Something snaps and you start yelling. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Hey, we've all done it. But when your teen breaks the rules, he desperately needs an adult who can respond, not react. To respond is to remain calm and offer grace and support while still seeking to correct the behavior. To react is to get angry and emotional. Hey, knee-jerk reactions are counterproductive and often sabotage what you truly want to achieve. So the next time your teen crosses the line, here's an easy three-point game plan. Stop your mouth, think about what needs to be done, and then and only then, speak. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. Schultze. He is the co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton. He is uh, an author and a speaker, and he offers up a new book entitled Excellence Wins, a no-nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. Horst, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you with us. Um, and and folks are probably uh, who are listening right now are thinking, wow, uh, I am familiar with the Ritz-Carlton I may or may not have been familiar with uh, with the story of uh, of one of its founders. So we know the story of Ritz Carlton a little bit, but there's a lot of people listening who probably don't know your story. And so I'd like for you to take us back, um, maybe back to when you were 11, certainly when back to when you were 14. Let me just tell people this: um, you you moved away from home at 14, a long way from home. Um, to start working in a hotel that your parents could never have afforded to stay in. Um, I feel like a lot of your story is wound up with uh, the maitre d' of that first hotel. So take us back. And that's correct. I mean, uh, I, I, it was made very clear. This is a place where we could where we could never go. This is only for ladies and gentlemen, a very, very fine guest. Uh, so behave yourself according and so on. When I get there, when my mother took me there the first day, of course, the general manager basically told me the same thing. Uh, we are, uh, don't get envious. They're, they're very important. We are the servants. You are the servants. And uh, the maitre d', though, the first day when he welcomed us, there were two other kids that started at the same time. We all were 14. He said, uh, look, never come to work from now on. 
come here to be excellent in what you're doing. Now, that went over my head at the time, you know, how what is excellent about cleaning dishes and washing, washing dishes, cleaning floors and so on. Uh, but uh, I, it, it took a while for me to get it because he presented excellence. He was a human being of excellence. Everything he did was excellent. And uh, there's the story that I tell him which changed my life in, in big ways. He kept on insisting on us. I went once a week, typical upbringing there, to hotel school. After two years, I was about 16. The teacher, our teacher said, now write a story what you now feel about the hotel business, the restaurant business, the hospitality business. And uh, kids from restaurants and, and hotels from the area came to that school. So thinking about it, I, I, I saw the melody that night, approaching a table, and I, it meant all of a sudden I realized the guests at the table that he approached were actually proud that he came to them. Well, there was a direct reversal. Uh, we are not important, they are important. And I saw that was true altogether. And so if, when I contemplated my SA I was supposed to write, I wrote about him and I named that SA, we are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. We are. We are, we are if we are excellent what we're doing, as represented by that matter D, then we are defining ourselves as ladies and gentlemen. We can define ourselves no matter what we do in life as people of excellence. And we do that greatly at work. We, we can't do it very well when we watch TV at home, but we should do it all the time. And, and so I, I wrote an essay around that, which, which, um, which got me the first A in, in my, my life and probably the last one. So it stuck with me. The Medici had great influence on me because you know, when he entered the room, people knew he was there. He, he was an exceptional man, and he, 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 he was a gentleman. So clearly the guests are, are to be respected as ladies and gentlemen, but we can define ourselves as the same no matter what we do in life. And that, of course, was impactful on me. So, Horst, that, I mean, that is a, a worldview. That is absolutely such a clear statement about not only how we are to see ourselves, but how we are to see every other person. And so exactly. when I think of, yeah, when I think about um, this establishing yourself as an equal person of excellence, you know, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, you know, really what you are doing there is you are declaring this, this worldview of human dignity. And it's out of that, that uh, this excellence in service really grows. Well, and of course, I, I, made that the motto of our company, uh, Rich Carlton, when I created it, when I started it, and I made it very clear and, and explained at length the meaning of that. That means we respect everybody as ladies and gentlemen. We are not here to judge our guests, but at the same time, we had to find ourselves. And to the managers, understand your employees, they're not just employees, they're ladies and gentlemen working together with us. And as human beings, equally important to us, and they're ladies and gentlemen. And, and we, only we, individually, we can sentence ourselves to be less. We can sentence ourselves to be less in our behaviors, our attitude, and in our actions. And, but as a whole, I made it very clear, everyone 
that comes in this in those through those stores are ladies and gentlemen and and are viewed have to be viewed as such so i want to talk about culture um, and not only the creation of culture, but the recreation of culture. We certainly live in a day where everyone does not see themselves, nor do they see everyone else in this way. Um, and so when you think about the culture that you were able to create, one of the things you talk about is it was easier to get buy-in um, from people who were brought on versus changing the understanding of people who were already there and in place. Um, so can you just share with us a little bit about what you have learned, not only about culture creation, but about culture recreation? Yeah, of course, there is so much talk about culture. And, and uh, it, its culture is simply what the organization believes and stands for. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so it's easier to explain the beliefs of the organization to new employees that arrive there the first day. In fact, the first day at work, people are very, very, very open-minded and you can impact them greatly. But on the other hand, we took over hotels. For example, we took over a hotel in New York, which was disastrous, the customer satisfaction and the employee satisfaction when we measured it. But after two years, they were, it was a, a, exceptional, our measurements there, because we slowly had convinced them it is better to live with excellence. And we they, they slowly adopted our belief system in, in, in the organization. It's that belief system, which means culture. What do we stand for? What do we believe? How do we respect each other? That's the culture of the organization. Okay, we are uh, having excellent wins for breakfast um, this morning because later today, the culture in your home or the culture in your business or the culture of your church is going to eat your strategy for lunch. So I'm having excellent wins for breakfast uh, because that culture that we create is going to eat strategy for lunch. That's a conversation we're going to have next with Horst Schultze, co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton, author of Excellence Wins. We'll be right back. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is Continuing my conversation with Holtz. Horst Schultze, uh, among other things, the author now of Excellence Wins, a no-nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. You know him uh, as the person who created what we all now know as the Ritz-Carlton, uh, sort of the definitive five-star experience. Um, and and really what uh, what excellence has now come to be understood as defined by um, in the hospitality industry, really at all levels. It doesn't really matter where you go. The Ritz-Carlton model is one that everyone else aspires to. And it is what I would describe as customer-oriented, but it's really excellence-oriented at all level at all levels. And so, Horst, again, thank you for being here today. Glad to be here, Carmen. Um, you obviously inspire a lot of other people. You do a lot of public speaking. Um, you are a great encouragement to... Um, to people of all walks of life because you treat everyone with equal dignity. You call us uh, up to something that uh, is greater than the individual. You invite people into something that's genuinely good, not just for the individual, but for uh, the common good. It's, it's just delightful. I'm wondering who inspires you? Who speaks into your life? <laughs> my, my wife. <laughs> I love that. Mostly my wife, my wife of 40 years, with whom I'm still in love. 
So that that no no no. All kidding aside, that is that's an institution I think that is created for that relationship and to support and inspire each other. Mm. I, I truly I truly believe that. I think that in fact that is of extreme importance. I mean, the whole whole society starts with the family. Well, the family starts with the husband and wife. So if that doesn't function exceptionally well, nothing else can function exceptionally well. And that and. And, uh, and that's that is to me so clear, but uh, I'm I'm inspired by by of course by many people. We all are. Each one of us is the result of much input we had from various people and that we we encountered in our life. And of course, there is another inspiration that hopefully we all have, and that's the ultimate one, and that's the word of God to me. And 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 it is it is such a true word. I, uh, after I turned 80, not long ago, I'm a young 80. I want to make sure you understand that. Uh, oh, I got anyway. it. I, I got yeah. it. You, yeah. <laughs> Running so circles after, around most people. Uh, uh, well, and so after I turned 80, I, you can't help that but reflect on your, on your life, all your life. And what you see, and, and what are the regrets? What are the pleasures? The regrets are the things that you did wrong. The regrets that are the things that you did against what you learned from the Bible. That proves that the Bible is right in itself. If I would have not sinned, I, and looking back, I would have no regrets. And so, so of course, the, the Bible has to be the guideline for our, of our inspiration. Then, then we know we are in going true north if we, if we go, go by the word. And so, yes, that has to be the ultimate measurement about being inspired. And, of course, inspired we are by many people. Going back to the Maitre D, who had huge impact on me, huge impact, because he was just an example of a human being. And, but I met many others in, 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 in between. And, and true, and true to what I said before. It wasn't a joke. And my, and my wife. I love that. So, do you guys have kids and grandkids? And I mean, you're yeah, 80, I have, so we have. Uh, I have four daughters. Wonderful. <laughs> Which we, yes, you better believe it. Absolutely wonderful. And then I have two grandchildren, a boy of four and a girl of six. Oh, that's so also fun! Wonderful. That is so fun. That's so fun. I uh, I think that um, wow. I think that Christmas is going to be really fun with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. That's uh, that's always a great time. So let's. Uh, Let's visit this subject matter that you shared, which is that you're 80. Um, yeah. Bob, Sh Bob Shaw, I remember having a conversation with him at one point um, about how excited he was to turn 80 because that's too, when he was going to be free of a non-compete agreement that he had signed with Warren Buffett. <laughs> and, and so on his 80th birthday, he called up Warren Buffett and he just said two words, and that was game on. And that was the day that he then launched um, Engineered Flooring, which is now, you know, competing yeah. with uh, with Bob's original company. Right. So um, yeah. I do I do think that there is there is among some some people and you are obviously one of them um, that you just really never feel like retirement is what you're called to do. You're just you're you're called yeah. forward. And so I would love for you to speak that into the lives of people who are listening right now who, you know, maybe they think that, well, they're they're done because somebody told them at 65 they were supposed to be done and just tell them they're not done yet. But just just remember, I, I formed a new company when I was 65. 
Amen. Capella Hotel Company, which is, uh, we have, don't have them in the United States, but they're ultra-luxury hotels. I sold the company two years ago. They're ultra-luxury hotels in Asia and in Europe. And they're, they're the absolute finest. That is something totally superior to anything else that exists. And that those are Capella Hotels. I formed that company when I was 65. Uh, and I had some days when I regretted it, but at the same time, <laughs> and it was very fulfilling. And there, there is no such thing for me than retiring. We have to, I have to go. I'm excited about my next step. I'm involved in, as you know, in speeches, in consulting, writing a book. I'm, I'm all over the world. I'm on advisory boards in, in Europe and in the Middle East. And, and I'm consulting in Asia, in the United States. I still travel about 250, 150 to 200 days a year. In fact, I'm leaving tomorrow for, for Europe. So and Egypt. So that, that is where the excitement of life, you never should stop <clears throat> creating. No way in the Bible it says you should stop on the, on the couch, sit on the couch and watch TV. No way. Now, having said that, when I, uh, when I retired from Ritz-Carlton, I retired on a Friday and my wife had, uh, had really nearly insisted on it because I was traveling 250 days a year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so, but on, on Monday, I told her I'm going to start one more time. And uh, she declared me insane for a moment, but then she said she will uh, support me. That's when I created Capella. Because it was, it's very clear. My neighbor said, uh, he retired too. Uh, he did it. He retired to do what he likes. And I, I said, what is that? He said, well, golf. Well, I, I cannot see satisfaction playing golf every day. So, and besides that, I like to play hotels, so I started hotels again. I know. And, I just love that. I, I just love it. It's visionary. It's passionate. It's, um, it, it helps other people see themselves for who they really are. You have taught us so much about hospitality um, over the years. For those of us who've had the privilege of, of ever being on a Ritz-Carlton property, um, and now I have looked at these Capella properties, and maybe I now have a new goal to visit one of these properties worldwide. Really, really beautiful. All right, um, Horst Schultze, we're going to have to leave it right there. The book is Excellence Wins, a no-nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. Thank you so much. God bless. What a delight. We'll be right back. All right. Well, that was fun. That was a little uh, little different for us, but I enjoy talking uh, with wizened souls uh, about life and about their experiences and the way that they can speak into us, so into our lives and, and what we're enduring today. So if you're not familiar with uh, Horst Schultze and his testimony and the way that he has not only lived his life, um, he really is, and I couldn't, I couldn't say this to him because he wouldn't, I think, even know how to respond. He is so humble and he is so generous that uh, he really is just a wonderful example of what dignity looks like in a successful person today. I think that sometimes we, uh, uh, we talk a lot about making sure that we recognize the dignity of everyone. Um, and this is what dignity looks like in success. So I just wanted to be sure and share that with you uh, once he was uh, gone. So um, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen, taking us along on your journey of faith. Go out there and make it a great day. Serve one, someone else. Remember, you are, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen uh, in the dignity of the Father by the power of the Spirit. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.